Hey, glad you're here. Hey, I'm going to leave you some prayer. Uh, we will dig in. I uh, want to remind you we're going to have runners, I think. Are we having runners? Runners with microphones. If you've got questions, be sure and wait till the runner gets there so that you can talk into the microphone, not even so much for our sake, but because we're recording this. And uh, there are people who listen to it all around the world, and we want them to be able to hear your questions uh, as we go. So let's pray, and uh, we'll just dig into Ephesians. Hey, dearest Heavenly Father, we, uh, we come before you tonight, and we just ask, would you please just meet with us in this place? Would you guide my words, help them to be accurate and uh, reflective, absolutely, of the truth of Scripture? Keep my opinion uh, out and uh, your truth in. And uh, God, would you help us tonight to learn more about you, to understand you in new and fresh and exciting ways as your word opens up. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Ephesians, I believe you and I are in chapter 4. Hey, just want to say real quick, uh, I got out here uh, last week and thought, hey, you know what, I'm not sure I was clear on that, so I just want to say out loud, uh, there were people other than prophets and other than apostles who wrote Scripture. And I'm not sure I articulated that clearly uh, last week, uh, but there were people other than prophets and other than apostles who were part of writing Scripture. Right? Okay, all right. I kind of confused myself last week, so, all right, um, Ephesians chapter uh, 4, uh, I'm going to go back, I'm going to ask you a couple questions out of here, out of a few things we studied to make sure that we caught them, because we kind of hurried through uh, the end last week just a little bit, uh, verse 13, until we reach unity uh, in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, what did we say the fullness of Christ was? Who remembers? What is the fullness of Christ in our lives? Sanctification. Okay, sanctification. Sanctification is the is the big theological term that we're going to use for it. And guys, don't don't let the word sanctification. Okay, I'm going to write. So, all right, there we go. Don't let sanctification freak you out. It's just it's just a theological term that we use, and the easiest word to substitute for it, maturity. Growing up in Jesus. The process of sanctification is the process of growing up, okay? Of being like Jesus. That's sanctification. But as we describe this kind of this concept of the fullness of Christ in us, anybody remember kind of what that illustration was or what that, what that we said kind of, what, what, what's that emphasis on filling us up that we would reach the fullness of Christ? Anybody remember it all? Didn't we talk about it being the moment that we get to heaven and and all of our old human selves are kind of gone from us and we're now completely heavenly beings? Okay, so when we get to heaven, you, you get that sanctification gets done. In other words, everything that is still incomplete in your and my maturity and glorification, all of that gets done instantaneously when we get to heaven, okay? But Paul is saying that while we're here on earth, he wants us to experience the fullness of Christ. What would that be? Here we go. Um, basically allowing Christ into all aspects of our lives. There you go. So the fullness of Christ is simply this. It is simply saying in yielding to the Lordship of Christ, you have full access. There is not a room. There is not a closet. There is not a back porch. There's no part of my life that you are not allowed to inhabit and control. Because one of the challenges you and I have is that you and I give our life to Christ in bits and pieces. And we say, okay, God, you can have my marriage, but you can't have 
my kids. Or you can, you can have my career, you just can't have my finances. Paul here is saying the, what you and I are supposed to be aiming for is the fullness of Christ. That Christ would literally have affected the fullness of my life. Every aspect of my life would be reflective of Jesus Christ. That would be experiencing the fullness of Christ. So that no matter what part of my life you looked at, whether it was what I watch on TV or it's how I treat people or what comes out of my mouth, you would see that Christ has been there and that that part of my life reflects Jesus. That would be the fullness of Christ in my life. Because we we all know that person, right? Matter of fact, we look in the mirror and we find that person who we'd have to say, hey, uh, Jesus may have changed these things in my life, But there are places that he still has not gone. There are things about me that he has not completely touched in my life. Often because we've said you can't. You can't go in that room. You can't touch that issue. You're not allowed to deal with that yet. And as long as you and I do that, we will not experience the fullness of Christ in our lives. Okay? All right, Uh, verse 14 said, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. And what did we say is the best way to prepare ourselves, to brace ourselves so that we don't get tossed about and deceived by people who maybe have really winsome uh, conversations or able to teach really eloquently that you and I don't get blown off track by that. To know scripture. To know scripture. It's an amazing thing. There, there's a passage of scripture uh, that talks about the Berean Christians. And Paul says, here, here was what was really cool about the Bereans. That when we came to town and we started explaining Jesus, because they had never heard about Jesus before. They, this was a new concept to them. Although they listened, they immediately went back to the scriptures to see if what we were telling them was accurate. That's exactly how you and I are supposed to be, guys, when we... Listen to people teach scripture. We're supposed to constantly go back to compare. And one of the reasons I think this is huge for us within Christendom right now is that Christendom is filled with preacher superheroes. And and, and there are all sorts of big names out there that people go, oh man, I I just love when Andy Stanley preaches. I I just love uh, when Mark Driscoll preaches. What are some other big names that are out there right now that people... Huh? T.D. Jakes. Who? Joseph Prince. John Hagee. Huh? Beth Moore. Who? Joel Osteen. Joyce Myers. Pastor Lynn. Hey, there you go. I was waiting for I was fishing for that one. Here's here's what you got to get, guys. And here's the thing that's very, very, very interesting. You can sit down with Christians all the time and you say, you know, who do you listen to or who are the preachers you like? And they'll start down their list. And you want to know the incredible thing? Is that more often than not, on their list of preachers they listen to are preachers who absolutely fundamentally disagree with each other biblically. And they cannot possibly both be accurate. That means you and I aren't studying well. You and, I, you and I aren't taking what's being told to us and going back to Scripture and saying, whoa, 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 whoa wait a minute. <laughs> I know you just said that. I know you just taught that. And I'll be honest with you, it sounded really, really good. I liked what I heard. 
I need to make sure that reflects Scripture accurately. And if you and I are not going to get tossed around by every prevailing teaching that's out there right now, you and I have got to be good enough students of the Word that we're willing to challenge the teacher and say, well, well, wait a minute, I, I can't get that if I look at Scripture. Okay? Um, verse 15. Um, it said, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. What does it mean to speak the truth in love? Huh? What does it mean to speak the truth in love? Gentleness? How many say speaking the truth in love is gentleness? All right, so what is speaking the truth in love? Well, isn't it when you, you know, don't go beat someone over the head with what the Bible says. You know, say it in a nice and gentle and loving way that reflects what Jesus Christ is. Okay. To know when and how to speak the truth. To know when and how. And if I find the when and how, in other words, I I go, okay, I think this is probably the best chance I'm going to get to say this. What do I say? Truth. See, I, I need to take that moment to say to you what you need to hear. Not necessarily what you want to hear. If I really, really love you, I'm going to look for the moments. And I'm not going to do this to win an argument. I'm not going to do this to put you down. I'm not going to do this to make myself look better in comparison to you. But if I really, really love you, I'm going to look for, I'm going to wait for, I'm going to depend on God to help lead me. But I'm going to search for the moment in which I can say to you what you need me to say. Not what you want me to say. Because if I really, really, really love you, I'll love you enough to say the hard thing to you. So that you can... What? Grow. It's what the verse says. Look at at the verse again. Uh, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him. Matter of fact, let me give you another verse real quick. Jump in your Bibles over to the book of Proverbs. Which, guys, I'm, I'm just going to tell you one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. It's Proverbs chapter 27. Proverbs chapter 27. It's verse 5. And here's what it says. It says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. How many people say, man, I would much rather be rebuked than loved any day? I mean, that's just my favorite thing, to get rebuked. Anybody? So that's an interesting thing, and, and especially when you think about this. Who writes the book of Proverbs? Solomon. The wisest man who ever walked the face of the earth said, It is better to experience open rebuke than hidden love. Why? Why would that be true? Because of, because of what it says back in Ephesians. Okay, because of what it says back in Ephesians. But in this case, I, I get the impression even from this one, it's this, this open rebuke maybe wasn't even done in love. This may have just been flat out, hey, I'm calling you out, I'm calling you out publicly, you're a jerk. You know, I, th- that, was, that was a horrible thing you did. So I'm not even sure in this case, in the open rebuke, that love was part of it. And yet he's saying, Solomon's saying, even if someone came to you and they rebuked you, and they didn't do it very loving, because the truth be told, 
none of us likes rebuke, right? How, how, how many people here go, boy, man, rebuking is just like one of my favorite moments of life. Anybody? Okay. But isn't it true that you and I are even less likely to hear rebuke when somebody delivers it poorly? When someone seems prideful when they're doing it or somebody seems to be just trying to embarrass us when they're doing it? At that moment, you and I don't want to hear anything they say. Isn't that true? And yet scripture here is saying better open rebuke, better rebuke that is delivered poorly and badly. And, and, and the person who's delivering it could have done it a hundred other ways. Better to have open rebuke than hidden love. Why? Because the rebuke is more, more likely the truth. What now? If you're rebuking the person, it's more likely that it's truthful than in love and all mm. kind of smoothed over. Mm. We're really close. We're really close. Go. Because if you really love them, you'll tell them the hard thing. Okay. And I think that's all part. So here's, here's the deal. I think Solomon here is taking for granted that the rebuke is accurate. In other words, he's saying this isn't just somebody slamming you for the sake of slamming you. The rebuke is accurate. It was delivered the wrong way. It wasn't done with a whole lot of kindness, but the rebuke was accurate. It really was a misstep on your part. Better to get that rebuke, even if it's delivered in the wrong way, because, you ready for this? Because at least if I've heard the rebuke, if I've heard the thing that was delivered, that that I maybe could have heard another way and somebody could have been more gracious in how they delivered it and more loving and kind. But here's the deal. At least I have something to work with. At least I have something to work with. And I get to spend some time and go home and go, boy, was there any truth in what that person just said? I mean, I, I hate the way they said it and they were really pretty rough on me, but was there any truth in the message that they delivered poorly? And at least in that moment, I have something to work with. Is better than hidden love. Because see, if you love me, but you never show it, you never express it, what good is it if you love me and I never know? Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Yep. It's kind of a slippery slope, though. But it depends on who the message is coming from. Are they a Christian or not? So yeah. you can hear what you want to hear from a non-Christian, but that may not be the best. That may be tearing you down or attacking you. So you have to be conscious of who the audience is. Sure. I, matter of fact, I'll be, I was sitting with a staff member just today, and uh, we were talking through a situation where somebody had come after the staff member and been really, really horribly unfair. Horribly unfair. And uh, matter of fact, I would even go to the point of saying, <laughs> well, very mean, okay, as they did this. And here's what I said to the staff member. I believe that the vast majority of that message is inaccurate. But here's what I want you to do. Before you discount it 100%, I want to ask you to spend some time in reflection and say, is there any portion of the rebuke I just got that has accuracy? I think you and I have to do that if we have any whether a non-Christian is delivering it, is there any truth in the midst of this, in, in the midst of what's happening? Because here's what happens, guys. Let's just be honest. A lot of times what happens is somebody says something about us or to us, and maybe 10 or 15% of it's true. But we dismiss it because 80% is not. And we all, oh, 
problem is, as you and I do that, you and I miss an amazing opportunity to grow in our lives. If you and I are going to live well, you, you and I have got to come to the moment that says, hey, look, I, I think I just got grilled real unfairly and real poorly, really wrongly. But, but I, I think I own 10% of this. I think I do. I think 10% of it was accurate. And then, guys, if there is accuracy in any of it, then you have to own it. If you're going to grow, if you're going to move forward from there, if you're going to be more like Jesus from there, then you have to own it. And so you go back to that boss, you go back to their person and say, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm just even going to be honest with you. I'm going to say, I, I, feel like, I feel like some of what you said to me was, was a little tough, but I, I want to own that, you know what, I really did, I, I, I really did procrastinate on part of this. And, and, and that, that, that was very, and I just want to own that to you. I, I want to own to you that, although I still think I was saying the right thing, I said it in anger. I just want to own that. You know, I want, I want to own the part of, the, part of this that, that, is, that is me and ask you to forgive me for that. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. If you're going to grow. If you're going to grow. Did I see a question? Yeah. What's the difference between rebuking and correcting? Are they the same? No. Uh, rebuke has much more of a disciplinary type of a vibe to it, much more of a, a thing of says, um, you, don't, you don't know that you did wrong, I'm going to now call you out on doing wrong. Whereas correcting is more in the idea that says, okay, I, I told you you had to clean your room, you didn't clean your room, okay, so now we're going to come up with a plan to correct your behavior, okay? We're going to talk about how to be on the right path. So there's correcting is the fixing portion. Rebuking is the calling out portion. Does that make sense? Okay. Good question, though. All right, we're good. All right, let me finish the verse real quick. Back in, in Proverbs. Proverbs says, you ready? The, uh, open, better is open rebuke than hidden love. The next phrase is great. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. What does that mean? The wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Isn't that interesting? What do you think? Well, anybody can tell you what you want to hear. Okay. So, someone who is telling you what you want to hear is not being your friend. Let me say that again. Someone who is telling you what you want to hear is not being your friend. And matter of fact, I'm going to suggest... That if they know that you have a real problem and they can see that clearly and they're willing to say what you want to hear and potentially manipulate you by telling you what you want to hear, that may be an enemy. The converse of it. The wounds of a friend can be trusted. What does that mean? It means if you've got a friend who loves you enough to say the really, really hard thing to you that you need to hear. You got a really good friend. And this is hard for us because sometimes when our friends come to us and say the really hard thing, they stop being our friends. Right? We go, I'm not hanging out with you anymore. You keep telling me where I'm blowing it. And yet Solomon's saying, No, no, no. 
If you've got a friend who loves you enough to say the hard thing and the thing you need to hear, you've got a really, really good friend. Which then would beg the question, do you have a friend like that? Do you have someone in your life who you've allowed and said, look, I, I, I love you enough and I trust you enough that you would not come to me and say something just to be mean or hurtful or spiteful. If you said something to me that hurt, you would say it because you were trying to help. You got a friend like that in your life? Yeah. Is there a boundary on that? Say that um, the person who you would speak to was not in the least bit interested. Yeah, and, and matter, matter of fact, um, all right, so this is you and me. Nobody else is listening, okay? Um, you want to know one of the reasons I don't do counseling anymore? Is because eight out of ten, not all, eight out of ten people who come in for counseling want to hear what they want to hear. And they really want the counselor to tell them who's right and who's more wrong. And they're hoping you tell them that they're right and the other one's wrong. And what they don't want to hear is the really, really hard stuff they've got to do in their lives. Isn't, um, isn't this almost like hard love? Yeah. All right. You want to know that the person who does this the best in my life is my wife. My wife. And, uh, and here's the cool part about it, guys, because I, I know all the men right now are terrified. They're going, oh, my goodness, if my wife ever started. Um, and ladies, you need to hear this. You need to be really, really, really careful because this very easily can begin to feel like and sound like nagging to your man. And there is nothing that will turn a man off or disenchant him from a marriage more than you trying to fix him. Okay? There isn't. There isn't. So let somebody else fix him. You just love him. Okay? But one of the things that's happened in Lisa's relationship and my relationship that is wonderfully healthy is Lisa doesn't try to fix everything about me. I, you know, I come home, I kick my shoes off, and I leave them where they shouldn't. You know, I do all sorts of things that irritate her. I can't load the dishwasher. I got a whole bunch of things I can't do right. And thankfully, uh, thankfully, Lisa doesn't spend her time expressing all those things to me. I know I'm already, but uh, she doesn't express them. Um, but here's what she does do. She chooses only those moments to speak into my life that are these. The moments that I really, really, really need to hear because I've just made a mistake. I've, I've just done something that maybe wounds somebody else or sends us in a wrong... And, and she'll come and she'll say this thing. And what she has been able to do in our life is position herself and for me to know that she would not say it unless she truly was trying to help me be a better man and a better pastor. And one of the ways she does that is by not nagging me about the other 20 things. So that by the time she does come to talk to me about something, I know it's of deep concern for my friend as she comes to talk. And because of that, she has an incredibly powerful voice in my life. And I can't, I, I don't remember exactly the situation was. I know a couple of months ago she came back to me. She said, Lynn, boy, you, you, you spoke in anger. No, I didn't. I didn't speak in anger. I was pretty joyful when I said that. No, you spoke in <laughs> anger, Lynn. And, uh, and even if there was an anger in your heart, I'm just telling you how everybody in that room saw that, 
how that came across. I mean, that, that, sound, that felt angry in that room. And I had to stop because my friend and my wife was wounding me. I mean, she was telling me I didn't want to hear that. And it took me a few minutes. I finally went back into the room and I went, you know, um, did what I just said a few minutes ago, that come across as angry? And uh, some of the people sitting in the room kind of went, yeah, yeah, that was kind of, I go, man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know what? I would have never known that. I wouldn't have seen that in me. I was pretty sure I delivered the information well. And yet my wife speaking that into me helped me, saved me from wounding some relationships in my life. Um, every one of us needs a friend who has permission to say the hard thing. We all do. Better are the wounds of a friend than the kisses of an enemy. Okay. Back to the passage. Pastor Lynn? Yep, yep, yep. All right. I, have, I just I wanted to... the pot. Okay. Sorry. That's all right. Um, I just wanted to add that uh, there's a, a verse in Proverbs also that refers to flattery. And I think that also relates to wounds of a friend. Um, Say it again. There's a verse in Proverbs that relates to flattery. Oh, I don't flattery. know. Right. Yeah. Um, it's very deceiving. Yeah. Anybody here got the gift of criticism besides me? <laughs> well, Lisa and I will go out and visit other churches, and, and I, I shouldn't admit this out loud, but when we go out and visit, we'll walk out of church, and, and she'll say, hey, what'd you think? And I go, you know what? Uh, man, the video was totally off, and, and the worship guy talked too long when he talked, and you know, whatever it is. And I have my little list, and she goes, man, all you ever say is critical. I said, no, they only did five things wrong. That's a pretty good church. So, all right, back to the passage. Um, 16. From him, the whole body joined together uh, by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Okay, and we, we asked you a little bit last week, what is, what is that referring to when it says when each part of the body does its work? Who are the parts of the body? You are. Matter of fact, remember up as we began, we talked about the work of the pastor was to prepare God's people for what? For ministry. For works of service. That the ministry of the church is not carried on by the pastors. The ministry of the church is carried on by the church. And the pastors are the coaches. This game does not get played in this room. The game gets played on Monday when you go out into the world. The game gets played when you call up somebody in your small group and say, Hey, are you doing okay? Can I pray for you about? That's when the game... The game is... This is, this is like being in the locker room and talking about the plays and the game plan. But the game does not get played in this room. It gets played out there. As the church does the works of service. Alright, so let me ask a question. Uh, if you and I are each going to do our part, if we're each going to serve and be part of the body, then that's a, each of us then has different roles. And those roles line up with What? Spiritual gifts. Okay, I'm, I'm not waiting. You, why don't you walk over to them and then they can hear it on the recording. Yes, yelling out. We're going to slap your hand next time. 
Spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. All right. And uh, so, <clears throat> spiritual gifts. So, do me a favor. Name for me spiritual gifts. What are the potential spiritual gifts? Mercy. Evangelism. Evangelism. Encouragement. Discernment. Serving. Serving. Fate. Giving. Okay. Helping. Helping. I'm going to put helping with serving if that's okay. Administration. Administration. What's another word for administration? Anybody know? Leadership. Leadership. Prophecy. Prophecy. Interpretation. Interpretation. Healing. Healing. Teaching. Teaching. Different tongues. Tongues. Exhortation. Exhortation. Um, I'm going to put exhortation if it's okay with you. Is it all right with you if I put that with encouragement? Or do you believe it's a separate gift? Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to put it there unless you argue with me. Knowledge. Any others? Knowledge. Knowledge. Any others? Hospitality. Good catch. Okay. All right. Let me. Let's do this. Um, how many people in here say I think I know my spiritual gift? How many people say I'm not sure I know my spiritual gifts? How many people in here would be interested in a brief description of the spiritual gifts? Okay. All right. So let, let's do this real, real quick to see if this helps. Uh, any at all because here's here's what i'm going to suggest in the room if you don't know potentially what your spiritual gift is then chances are you probably aren't serving in the body with it the way you should you might be doing it accidentally because it's very interesting um, a lot of times you and i make decisions based on our spiritual gifts and don't even realize it and we go oh my goodness i'm deeply attracted to serve there or to work there or to do this and it's based on our spiritual gifts matter of fact here's one thing i'm going to toss out uh, is do people who don't know Jesus have spiritual gifts? And that interesting question? I'm going to suggest to you I think they do. Okay? Here's why. I believe there are people who don't know Jesus who have remarkable hospitality. I think there are people who don't know Jesus. Oh, well, you know what the one we... Oh, giving. Okay, and there's giving. That are very, very, very generous, and they don't know Jesus yet. Isn't that interesting that someone who doesn't know Jesus would have a spiritual gift in their life? Here's what I believe that is. Okay, I'm just gonna, you don't have to, this isn't biblical, this is Lynn. Um, I believe every single person is gifted by God as they're born with spiritual gifts. Matter of fact, I'm going to suggest even that when you take spiritual gifts and, and look at personality, that spiritual gifts and personality go side by side. And I'm even going to go as far as to suggest that our personality is, is a reflection of our spiritual gifts and not vice versa. I think a lot of people think, oh, you have that gift because you have this personality. I don't think that's true. I think you have that personality because of the gift of God in you. And it manifests in a personality. Okay? Uh, for instance, people with the gift of exhortation. Okay? Uh, how, many, how many people do have seen like a disc test? Oh, three of us. This will make sense. Uh, how many have seen like the otter, lion, um, what is it, uh, Golden Retriever, and what's the other one? A beaver. 
right? Otter, lion, beaver, golden retriever. It's interesting that um, almost everybody who says, I think I have the gift of encouragement, has an otter in them somewhere. Isn't that interesting? I'm going to suggest it's because you have the gift of encouragement that your personality looks like an otter. Okay? But here's the thing I'm going to suggest. When you are before Jesus, your gift... Whoops. is a little g gift. That's why you can see it in someone's life who doesn't know Jesus yet. When the Holy Spirit comes in your life, when you become a Christian, He does that. That that gift all of a sudden just blossoms. It comes to life. And I think one of the reasons God did that was because He was saying, Hey, I wanted you to know that if you ever came into the kingdom, you already had a place to serve. You already had the gifting to be part of the kingdom. You don't have to agree that was Lynn, um, but let's go back real quick. Let's go through the list of gifts. Uh, here we go. Mercy. person uh, with the gift of mercy is a person who absolutely aches for people who are hurting. Uh, this, these people stop and pick up cats on the side of the road. Uh, it's gift of mercy. Uh, and those cats may be human or animal. Uh, they they are attracted to the wounded. And a lot of people who don't have the gift of mercy say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, why are you doing that? They created their own problem. They did their own thing. They deserve wherever their life is. And the person with the gift of mercy says, no, no, no. They're hurting. I've got to help them. Anybody, anybody any Bible character you think of who would have had the gift of mercy potentially? Good Samaritan maybe had the gift of mercy. Okay, Everybody else could walk on the other side of the road. Good Samaritan couldn't go by. Okay, uh, Evangelism. Evangelism is pretty simple. People with evangelism walk into a room and say, I wonder how many people in this room are Christian. People with the gift of evangelism talk about how they were sitting on the airplane and talked to the person next to them and they asked Jesus in their heart on the airplane. And all the rest of us go, what? I tried to read a book and not look at the person next to me in the airplane. What? You led them to Jesus in the airplane. And and the person with the gift of evangelism doesn't understand why the rest of us are not leading the person in the airplane to Jesus when they're there. Anybody in here say, I think maybe I've got the gift of evangelism? Isn't that interesting? So maybe about, what, 2% of us would say, how many say, I I think maybe I have the gift of mercy? Ah, a bunch of mercy mongers. Okay, all right. Good for you guys. Um, Gift of encouragement. People with the gift of encouragement say, look, the people around me just don't understand what they could do for God. I mean, they don't get it. And if if I could just say the right thing in the right moment, I I could change their lives. And people with the gift of encouragement tend to say lots of, because they're constantly trying to say the right thing in the right moment. People with the gift of encouragement tend to be really, really good talkers. Lots of talkers. But they're doing that to try to build people up, to try to push them forward, to try to get them to do things that they never thought possible in their lives. Anybody in here say, I think I've got the gift of encouragement? Anybody in here say, the person next to me has the gift of encouragement, they just don't know it? Okay, all right. You know, it's interesting because sometimes people with the gift of encouragement won't affirm it in themselves, but the people around them say, no, no, no. You're an encourager. You've said the right thing to me in the right moment that I needed to hear. Okay, gift of encouragement. Um, gift of discernment. Um, gift of discernment would simply just be, I seem to be able to sense and get the motives of people 
and what they're, what they're doing, that other people don't seem to sense that and don't be, seem to be able to get to the motives. Uh, gift of serving. People with the gift of service absolutely hate to be in front of people, but they love to help. They love to uh, come alongside and vacuum the floor or wash the di- or whatever it needs to be. As a matter of fact, the truth is they don't care how mundane the job is as long as the job is helpful. As a matter of fact, one of the ways people with the gift of serving sometimes express their love is by serving the people they love. Anybody in here say, I think maybe I've got the gift of service. Okay. And who in the Bible maybe had the gift of service? Anybody know? Anyone to guess? Who? Martha. Remember the story when uh, Jesus is in Mary and Martha's home and Mary sits down to listen to Jesus talk and Martha's in there cooking dinner and fixing things and setting the table and finally she says, would you tell Mary to get up and help me? Remember that story? And it's actually a great encouragement because the truth is Martha was doing an amazing thing. I mean, she probably had the gift of service and she's serving out of her head. But you also need to know that you also seen the other side of the gift of service. And that is people with the gift of service want on occasion for you to notice. Because they're sending this message of I love you. And if you don't notice, then they're not sure you're getting the message. So they need you once in a while to affirm it and say something about it. And they can get people with the gift of service. Let's just be honest, can get a little cranky. If nobody else is serving, okay? Okay. Um, Pastor Lynn. Yes. Isn't the gift of discernment the discernment of spirits? Maybe. <laughs> let, me, let me come back to that one for you, okay? So hang that one, put a little check mark by it, and we'll come back. Pastor Lynn, would would you say the woman who wiped Jesus' feet with her hair and tears was also a service pre-God in her life? Maybe. Maybe. You know, I don't don't know if we know enough from that story to know for sure. Kind of that's, you know, was it it a moment of worship or was it a moment of serving? You know, I don't know. Maybe. I'm I'm not sure on that one. Okay. Um, I could actually get myself in trouble here. Is is faith a gift? Okay. I'm going I'm to suggest faith is not a gift. Here's why I'm going to suggest faith is not a gift. Because you and I are all commanded to have it. Giving. Okay. Generosity. Uh, the gift of generosity is interesting. Because generosity does not mean that they, people give indiscriminately. Matter of fact, very often people with generosity give very selectively. But they want to give to places that encourage other people that are effective. And very often people with the gift of generosity want to give in such a way that it causes other people to be generous. So a lot of times they'll do things and say, okay, I'll give $1,000, but the church has to match it. You've got to get everybody in the church to give. And if they'll match my $1,000, then I'll give my $1,000. But I want to motivate others to give with it. And the the interesting thing is is that if you have someone with the gift of generosity in your family, they may be very, very frugal at home so that they can give to others. And it drives you crazy. Anybody anybody in here think maybe I've got the gift of generosity? It's okay to raise your hand. It's okay. All right, two of us. All right, good. That's why they offered. No, never mind. Um, (laughs) Hospitality. Gift of hospitality. The people with the gift of hospitality believe that everything that they own 
could in some way bless somebody else. So whether that's their house, uh, they'll loan their car to people, and it's different than the gift of generosity. Um, They want people to feel welcome and connected. Uh, If people walk in the room, they go up and greet, and they want people to feel included in everything. Uh, And they want people to be part of the club. And so they're going to help them get in. Anybody think they've got the gift of hospitality? Okay. Uh, Prophecy. Prophecy are truth tellers. Prophecy people see everything in black and white. Prophecy people are freaked out about sin. And they believe that if they see sin anywhere, it's their job to raise their hand and say, there's sin right there. Right there's sin. Right right there. Did you see? That's, That's sin. No, 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 no. It's not a mistake. It's not. That's sin. Okay. Gift of prophecy. Uh, it's an interesting thing. Guess who? Guess who is often hates people with the gift of prophecy? Mercy. Why do people with the gift of mercy hate people with the gift of prophecy? Because people with the gift of mercy are going, oh, I feel so sorry. I mean, they're in, they're hurting so bad. Guy, person, gallery, guy with the gift of prophecy goes, you know why they're hurting? Because they're stupid. They're just <laughs> stupid. It's their own bad decisions that made them hurt. So good for them. It's sin. Okay. Here's an interesting thing, and here's the wonder of the church. Guess who ought to hang out together? <laughs> gift of prophecy, gift of mercy. As a matter of fact, one of the most powerful combinations you can have is to have somebody who has the capacity with prophecy to tell the truth, and then the person with the gift of mercy comes behind and goes, I know, I know. They, I know, I know, but let me love on you a little bit. Let, let me, let, let me help you a little bit. Okay. Um, interpretation uh, in this context would be, I'm assuming the interpretation of tongues on the deal. So if somebody were to speak in tongues, then this would be the interpretation of tongues. Uh, healing. And again, I would assume in this situation, we're talking about healing in the sense of I've laid hands on someone to be healed. Um, teaching. Uh, people who have the gift of teaching are people who absolutely believe that the most important thing that can happen is that you and I have thorough information about the Word of God. So if everybody just knew enough Bible, we'd all be okay. Those are teachers. Teachers tend to talk too long, too much, too often. When they're in front of people. uh, Because you've got to get every detail. Anybody here say, maybe I've got the gift of teaching. Okay, good. All right. There you go. Um, Gift of tongues. um, A spiritual gift in which people had uh, languages. Which at times could not be understood and required the interpreter. And at times people could understand in their own language. And then finally the gift of knowledge is a gift where without studying scripture, people were given unbelievable scriptural biblical insight without having been trained. Okay? All right, so that's just kind of a general rundown of the spiritual gifts. How much time do we have? We've got 15 minutes. All right, that puts me in no man's land. All right, so let me, let me ask you this. All right, so let's, let's go this. Hold on, Lynn. Yeah. Am I wrong, or but are we told that we are supposed to have 
some of all of the gifts. Oh, thank you for saying that. Okay. So here's the interesting thing about spiritual gifts. Um, some people in this room, how many people in the room said they had the gift of evangelism? And yet we are all commanded to evangelize. Isn't that interesting? How many people in here said they had the gift of mercy? And yet we're all commanded to be merciful. Isn't that interesting? So I think here's the answer, and I I love that you brought it up. Some of us in the church are going to have these gifts manifested in big G ways in our lives. In other words, you're going to have the gift of mercy. And it's just going to be off the hook. I mean, it's going to be at some place that that I go, wow, I, I could never be that merciful. Yet I'm commanded to be merciful. Because if I'm going to reflect Christ, I can't be hard and harsh. I have to have mercy in my life. If I'm going to reflect Jesus, I have to have evangelism. I have to be willing to tell my friends about him. So it's interesting. You and I are actually required, biblically, to manifest all these things in our lives. Every one of the gifts. We will have gifts that will end up being big G expressions within our lives. Does that make sense? So, consequently, you can't say, I just don't have the gift of giving. Okay? You can't do that. You can't say, I don't have the gift of mercy, so I can just be brutal to everybody. You cannot do that. You have to, you have to express all the gifts. Yes? Uh, on the gift of knowledge, um, is David an example of one who received the gift of knowledge? As say compared to Abram or to Moses. Yeah. As best I understand, a matter of fact, we may talk about this. One of the questions I'm going to ask is if we want to talk about this a little bit. As best I understand the gift of knowledge, I think probably the clearest expression that you see of the gift of knowledge is the early church. So if you remember in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people get saved one day. Remember that? And yet the next week they're having Bible studies. How's that possible? I mean, who's leading those Bible studies when the Bible says those that were numbered among them that were followers were 120, and the next day 3,000 men plus women plus children come in? And you got to remember, you don't have an auditorium. You're doing all this in house churches. Who's leading those Bible studies? And I'm going to suggest in that early church you saw a lot of manifestation of this gift of knowledge that people who had not done the study suddenly had remarkable insight and were able to teach Scripture. Gift of knowledge. is the, that, That's the, the clearest expression I can see in Scripture going on. Sorry, yeah. one more quick one. Is it possible that spiritual gifts are situational? Um, as an example, Darren has a gift to evangelism with our kids, like I've never seen. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that I could see him with a group of adults. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Is that something that you just grow into? Or can it be, can you have more of a gift in a certain situation? What I think is probably happening there is, my best guess is, probably doesn't have the gift of evangelism. My best guess is he has an absolutely desperate love for his children and wants to make sure they know Jesus. And so it's manifesting itself by him making sure that he tells them this story. Here's where I would change my mind on that, is if all of a sudden you said to me, no, 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 no. He walks up to random strangers 
And, and before, before five minutes in the conversation, he's saying, look, if you died today, would you go to heaven or hell? You know? Um, I, how many of you guys have ever met Lane Franks? We've had him speak at a couple things for the church. Okay, so I got this dear friend named Lane Franks. He used to do ministry with me back in. Lane Franks would walk into Gold's Gym. Anybody remember Gold's Gyms? He would look for the biggest guy in Gold's Gym. And he'd walk over and he'd go, Brother, if you drop that barbell on your neck right now, would you go to heaven? <laughs> and the biggest guy in Gold's Gym would go, I, I haven't thought about that. They go, well, brother, could I show you some passages in the Bible? Right? You go, yeah, show me passages. And before you knew it, the biggest guy in Gold's Gym would be down next to the bench press going, Jesus, come into my heart. And, and I'd go, Lane, how do you do that? How do you do that? If I walked up to that guy and said to him, brother, he'd hit me. He'd hit me. How do you do that? And I'm just telling you, Lane, everywhere he went, somehow found random ways. Brother, if that gas hose dropped on the ground and if someone dropped a cigarette and you burned to death, would you go to heaven? I mean, just random ways to bring Jesus into conversation. And it was nothing for him to come in to staff meetings every week and go, you know, I led three people to Jesus this week. Go, what? People with the gift of evangelism feel a desperate need in every environment they're in to talk about Jesus to people. Okay? They just do. So I'm guessing... I'm guessing he's expressing his love for your children by talking to him about eternity. That's prob- probably not the gift of evangelism. Okay? Yep? What, what about people that have gifts that in my mind are clearly God-given, like people that paint portraits or they're insane dancers? Yeah. That How does that fit in? And what you're talking about there is different... <clears throat> Um, because we, you and I would not classify those as spiritual gifts. They're skills. Okay? And uh, matter of fact, the Old Testament talks a lot about this. When uh, they were getting ready to, the, to do the tabernacle, the, the Bible talks about pick out the skilled craftsmen. And it seems to even indicate that God afforded them those skills. In other words, they were born to have those capacities and those skills to do that. But those were not this, where we're talking about spiritual gifts which were given for the singular purpose of the church being healthy. Does that make sense? So I'm, I'm okay if you want to say, hey, I believe that that is better fact. I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you an example. Here's the best way to look at that. Uh, in the New Testament, Jesus tells a parable about servants, and they were given, one was given five, what's the next word? Talents. The next one was given two talents, and the next one was given one talent. Remember? And they were intended to serve with those talents. Here's the thing that's interesting because we've Englishized this parable. Talent, when Jesus is telling that story, has nothing to do with ability. Talent is a form of money. It'd be like saying one was given $5, one was given $2, one was given $1. Does that make sense? Talent was not the English word talent. Guess how you and I got to using that word as an ability? Because Christians, seeing people like what you're talking about, who had the gift or the ability to dance or the ability to build things that other people didn't have, said, hey, that's your God-given talent. You need to use that so that God would get glory. Okay, does that make sense? 
So it's not the spiritual gifts that we're talking about, but I would suggest Scripture teaches that when you have a remarkable ability, so whether it's math or whether it is, um, man, someone who's amazing at science, God still gave you that ability with the intent that you would use that ability to bring glory to His name. That's your talent, not your gift. Does that make sense? We're kind of following that? Okay. Yes. Uh, don't hate me, but I'm looking through my notes from last April, and we were in First, first Corinthians that semester, and I'm in the, the spiritual gifts and list faith mm-hmm. there. So can you describe why it's listed there, but then you're saying that it's possibly not a spiritual gift? <laughs> Don't hate me. (laughs) I hate people who take notes. Um, So on your notes list, did we put a verse by it? Wisdom, knowledge, and faith? Okay. All right, gift of faith. Lynn. Um, Right here. Yep. I have one one suggestion, maybe sure. for the gift of faith. Um, in the Old Testament, when the spies went into the Promised Land, uh, two of the spies saw what God promised. They had a gift of envisioning, with which is faith, extraordinary faith, what God had promised in the Promised Land. Mm-hmm. The other ten spies did not. They saw the obstacles. They saw the problems. They did not go in there with extraordinary faith that God could not lie, that he would fulfill every promise that he mm-hmm. made to them. Okay. All right, so let me tell you why I pause. Okay. I mean, I, that's, that's a great illustration. Let me tell you why I pause. Here's, here's the two spies. Are we interested in this, or should I talk about it afterwards? We're interested? Okay. All right. Here's the two spies. Here's the ten who don't, okay, as they go into the land. And the suggestion is, and not a bad suggestion, is that these two had the gift of faith. These people didn't. Okay? Here's, my, here's the reason I struggle with that particular definition of what's going on there when they got back to the when they got back so in other words these people these people were able to see what god was doing because he gave them a gift okay if we go with that definition these people could not see what god was doing because god did not give that gift of faith to them does that make sense we're following so far Okay, and so at that point, okay, uh, these two have the gift of faith. These ten don't have the gift of faith. If you remember, they get back to all of Israel, and these people give their testimonies. These people, uh, Joshua and Caleb, say, no, 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 we can beat the giants. It doesn't matter. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. God has brought us here. Let's go do it. These ten people who don't have, if we call it the gift of faith, don't see it because God didn't give them the ability to see it. They then take a vote, and the children of Israel vote which way? This way. 
because apparently they didn't have the gift of faith. And then God punishes them. How can God punish me for something he didn't give me? So that's why I'm not, I'm not sure I want to go that direction. How can God punish me for something he didn't give me? I believe all 12 men were held accountable and the children of Israel to understand that God was faithful, God was dependable, God would not go back on his word and we should be able to follow. And that it wasn't a matter of God giving these two men a special gift. All of them were held accountable for not being able to see it. Okay. Okay. Getting back to our gifts. How do I hone in or polish up my gifts to better serve my life and cornerstone? Use them. Use them. You, you and I, you and I, as we use our gifts, they begin, they begin to blossom. They, it's amazing how they come alive because God supernaturally begins to empower them and uh, literally use. It's almost like muscles. How do my muscles get bigger? Use them. And the same thing with my spiritual giftedness. As I use that, as I live within my gift, that gift begins to expand within my life. I'm going to use them. Yeah. I actually have a two-parter for you. Okay. And it goes back to faith being a gift again. Okay. Um, sorry, but... You guys are not going to let me off the hook with this one, are you? Well, just... in, in actuality, I tend to agree with your initial okay. definition of it. And it, I kind of look at it as this. Just like asking Jesus or asking God to be a part of my life and live within me, and I want to follow him, it's a choice. Having that kind of faith and having faith in something having faith in something that I don't know but I know is there is a choice. Mm-hmm. Is it not? I, and again, you know, maybe that's why I'm struggling a little bit. That's kind of where I come from as I as I look at faith. You know, my my faith that I have, and maybe maybe I don't have the gift of faith. Uh, is based on the fact that God and I have done some journeying together, and I have found in every occasion God to be faithful. So now when you bring a new problem in my life, I go, oh, I, well, yeah, of course God's going to deliver. God's going to provide. But that's based on my track record with God. I mean, I, God just... I, I, have, I have an amazing experience of God. Deliver, and that doesn't mean He always delivers the way I want Him to, but God always comes through. And, and, my, and there's how my faith has grown. I agree. Yeah. The second part of this is this. I would really like you to elaborate a little bit on discernment of the Spirit. <laughs> you guys are doing all the hard ones. Okay, so how much time do we have? Uh, we're just one minute over 8 o'clock. Oh, okay. All right, so we're out of time, so we'll have to stop. <clears throat> you've got you've got the gift of interpretation. All right. All right so here here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer you the opportunity to to put me on the spot. I I'll be honest with you. One of the reasons that I have paused on a couple of the gifts, in case some of you did not guess that, is that I I tend to come from a viewpoint of a cessationist, which simply means this. And you, you don't have to agree with me. You don't have to disagree with me. This is one of those places in Scripture where Christians can agree to disagree. So, for example, how, how many people here have ever heard that some churches think once saved, always saved? Did you know that there are churches that believe you can lose your salvation? 
There are, and, and it's okay. You can believe that. You're wrong, but you can believe that. It's okay. Um, it's a place we can agree to disagree on. Spiritual gifts is, is a conversation that has happened in the church for a long time. I lean on the side of what they call a cessationist. I'm the person who would say, I believe there are certain spiritual gifts which are not active today the way they were active in the New Testament. That they have ceased to be active at that level. It's not to say they can't happen. It's just saying that what was happening in the New Testament is not normal for today. How many people say, I'd like to have that conversation and hear that? Okay, none of us. Okay, all right, so we won't do that one. All right, so we'll come back next week, and we'll just keep going on um, in Ephesians. So the easiest part, though, to explain that just a little bit real quick now is to say there are a couple of the gifts that we placed on that list that I would probably lean towards saying I don't think are normal. I'll give you one that would probably make sense to you. I'm not sure the gift of healing exists today the way the gift of healing existed in the New Testament. You're, you're not going to see me go to a Benny Hinn conference. You're just not. Because I, don't, I do not believe biblically that that gift exists today the way that it did in the New Testament. I believe there's a reason why it existed like it did in the New Testament. And I believe the scripture teaches pretty clearly that that gift would secede. And that there would be a time when that gift would no longer be a normal part of the Christian experience. Yep. Here's my easiest answer. Okay, and I'm going to go a different direction. I think there's a very interesting couple of verses at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that say, these gifts are temporary, and these gifts will go away. And I think you know, at some point you have to come to a place of saying, what, what did 1 Corinthians chapter 13 mean, and why did it say it that way? What was it trying to teach us? Okay, all right, so hey, we had fun. Let's close in prayer real quick. We'll take off and we'll go. And thank you for being here tonight. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, thank you so much for Scripture and for a chance to take a look at it and dig into it together. God, thank you for good questions and uh, for questions that uh, put us on the spot and just said, hey, what about and what do you think? God, that we together would study to know your word better and more thoroughly. And we ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, guys, thank you very much.